All right, uh, let's get started with a word of prayer. Let's pray. Our Lord and our God, we do ask uh, now that you would be with us by your life-giving spirit. May you guide our discussion in a way that brings you glory, in a way that shapes us to be more and more like your Son, the Lord Jesus Christ, in whose name we pray. Amen. All right, so let me say this up front before I forget. Uh, the, the, this lesson that we're doing, so we just finished the Heidelberg. This lesson that we're doing is largely based on, on a book. Uh, so if you're interested more on it later on, um, it, it's, by, it, it's, 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 it's a book by Richard Bauckham called Jesus and the God of Israel. All right? Um, Anyway, I mentioned last week that the title of our lesson is called Messianic Monotheism. That's kind of a mouthful. Anybody have a guess of what that means? Messianic Monotheism. What are we talking about? I think you guys know the words, like, separately, probably. Okay. One Christ, yeah, that's good. I, I like that title. One Christ. I should have. I should have used that. Um, yeah, I think this is one of those things we take for granted as as believers, as, as believers in the Messiah or the Christ, right? Namely, that Jesus is God, um, that He's the one God. Uh, but of course, there's a lot of questions attached. Uh, to that claim, um, one of them, which many asked uh, since Jesus rose from the grave, grave is how that could possibly be compatible with the Old Testament revelation of God's oneness, right? So really, that's, that's what we're talking about, is, is how is Jesus and his claim to be the God of Israel compatible with the scriptures of Israel or, or, or the Old Testament, Right? That's really what we're talking about. So the, the question we want to begin with is, what is monotheism? Uh, Rex said mono is one, theism is deity, one deity or, or one God, correct? All right, monotheism is one God, right? It's the belief in one God. Uh, to my younger folks right here, um, wh- what are some of the... M- major monotheistic religions in the world, you know? What are some of the uh, major monotheistic religions in the world? Islam, Islam okay. What else? Christianity. Christianity, yeah. What's another one? Judaism, right? Like these are 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 often called the Abrahamic religions, right? Um, and of course, there are many other religions that believe the opposite; uh, that they believe in more than one God. In fact, uh, this has been the dominant religious view of not only the ancient world but also the modern one, right? Uh, what do we call that? Polytheism, polytheism right? Um, what's polytheism? Poly, yeah, okay. 
many gods, right? Uh, this is the context of both the Old Testament and the New Testament. Israel uh, was bombarded with the polytheistic religions of their surroundings. Uh, and think of, uh, of the religions of the ancient Greeks, right? Their gods included Apollo, Athena, um, Zeus, right? Uh, why is that important? Why is that important? We know that. Well, because that's the context we find Jesus in. If Jesus was claiming uh, to be the one God of Israel, uh, then it had to be convincing. Uh, I mean, it, it convinced the apostles and, and every disciples ever since. But, but that, that's important. If Jesus' claim is, is to be uh, received, right? I was watching a commercial the other day. I don't know if you know this one. It's like a car commercial or something. You know, you have these like Greeks uh, talking about the latest like like chariot. This this person had had circle wheels, and then the other person had like triangle wheels. Like uh, my my mine is better than yours. But then there's other this other uh, person comes up, and and she has a van, right? Like a modern van. And, and she's like, oh, but I got this from, like, Auto, Tra- Auto Trader or something like that. And they're like, oh, is she a god? You know, where does she get that from? You see, that's, the, that's really the context uh, when, when Jesus comes on the scene. Like, all these gods were, were being worshipped. Um, and I think in, in, our, in our culture, it's the same thing, but it's not as obvious. There are all these other gods being worshipped, but it's not as obvious. Uh, why, why do you think it's important that we learn about the way the Old Testament views the oneness of God and, and the way the New Testament um, views the oneness of Jesus? I mean, this is pretty simple, but it's very important, I think. Uh, I mean, why do you think it's important that we learn about the way the Old Testament views the oneness of God and the way the New Testament views the oneness of Jesus? Right, right. Yeah, but but um, uh, let me say, like, modern Jew- Jews probably wouldn't, wouldn't put it like that, right? right. Um, but even because if Jesus isn't God, then his work on the cross is, yeah. is uh, Absolutely. That, that, that's it, right? If, if Jesus claimed to, uh, to be the one God is not consistent with, with the way the Old Testament has revealed himself, then our hope... It, our hope is in vain. Well, the Old Testament is prophetic in a shadow of the Christ to come, and, and when he comes, he fulfills those. those that, that, that's true. He's the that, that's true. He, he, he's definitely the substance. Um, uh, and, and we'll talk a little bit more about the way the, the Old Testament unfolds for us, the way God reveals himself. Um, but but here's, here's, here's the big idea that I want us to just kind of cling to. Uh, cling to this morning, and it's this, faith in Jesus Christ, the Messiah, he's the anointed one, uh, is in accordance with the Jewish or Old Testament conception that God is one, right? I, I, think, I think we all believe this. We all have to believe this, right? You're not a Christian if you don't believe that. 
If you think that uh, that the Old Testament is somehow uh, contrary to Jesus' claim to be the one God. And so here's the first thing we want to look at is Jewish monotheism or, or Old Testament monotheism. Um, the first thing we notice is that it's, it's, it is self-consciously monotheistic. Uh, in other words, observant Jews were self-aware of God's oneness, that God is one. Uh, there's no question that they were committed to this reality. Uh, they saw worship and obedience to the God of Israel as something that defined them. Um, it, it made them distinct from the other plural, uh, pluralistic religions around them. Uh, how, do we, how do we know that? How do we know that they were con- self-consciously monotheistic? Because every day they said, Hear, O Israel, the Lord is God, the Lord is one. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. I think, I think we bring that up pretty often, right? That's a very important confession uh, for them. Um, yeah, the, the Shema, that's, that's really important. The Lord our God is one, right? They, they would recite it twice a day at least, if not more. Um, There are actually some scholars who believe that Israel started off as being polytheistic and then transformed into being monotheistic. I think that is absolutely wrong, right? Um, so if you're reading a book and that's the claim, get that out of your head because that's, that's not true. From the very beginning, uh, God um, is, is always been seen as, as one uh, for Israel and and. The Old Testament, right? And part of the way we know this is because Israel's monotheism wasn't just an intellectual belief, right? That the Lord was one, that He's the only God. There was a unity between their belief and their praxis. Anybody know what praxis mean? The practice. <laughs> it kind of sounds like it already. Um, I should have just used that. Yeah, be- between what they confessed and what, what they practiced. Um, how, do, how does that come about? How, in the way they practice the religion, how do we know that um, it, it, what it said about their belief that, that God is one, right? Does anybody know what monolatry means? It's a fancy word, monolatry. So one idol? One idol. Yeah, yeah, exactly. That's good. That's good. That's a great guess because that's, that's pretty much it. It, it's, it means the worship of one and only God or, or idol, right? Like, uh, yeah, uh, it's, it's, it's that, that practice of Israel that, that God is one. Um. And so scholars have identified two ways in defining God's identity. Um, and so right now we're, we're trying to kind of break down this, um, this one God. Who, who is he? We know that Israel was self-consciously uh, worshiping him, and, and, and they confessed him to be one. But now we're trying to identify who he is. What, um, 
who is this one God, right? Uh, and so scholars really look at his identity in light of his relationship with, with Israel and, and with the world, right? Um, because he, he, he has a relationship with Israel that he, he doesn't have with the rest of the world, at least in the Old Testament, right? And so we need to know, uh, how, do I, how, how did the Israelites identify him? Well, the, the first thing we, we know is that God reveals himself personally to them. Right? He doesn't reveal himself personally uh, to, uh, to the other nations, to Israel alone, right? Um, we, we know this because he, he gives them their per, his personal name. Right? That, that's, that's a defining thing for them. What's God's personal name? Yahweh. Yahweh. Do we ever read that in the Bible, in our, in our translations? Yeah, the, the, I think the, the uh, Bibliotheca uses it, like it, 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 it changes. Anyways, when you see LORD in all caps, that's just, that's just a, uh, a signification that, that they're, they're replacing the divine name, Yahweh, with, with that um, LORD. Uh, scholars refer to that as the tetragrammaton, right? It's, it's the four-letter word uh, uh, name of God. Okay, so that, that's, that's one of his personal ways that he identifies himself with, with Israel. Um, but not only that, he, he not only reveals his personal name to them, he, he also makes himself known to them by what he does, right? Um, of course, we can flesh out God's actions uh, towards Israel in, in, in many of ways, but what's the one thing that God reminds Israel of over and over again that he, that he has done for them? He brought them out of Egypt. Yeah, that's, that's a, a defining act of what the God of Israel is like, right? Um, yeah, we hear it every Sunday in worship. Uh, you know, we, we read it for you guys. Um, uh, it's, in, it's in the Decalogue. And God spoke all these words, saying, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of, of slavery. Uh, Israel knows that Yahweh is the one God uh, because he's the one who has liberated them. He, he set them free from, from their um, captivity from Israel. Uh, that's something he, he, he did for them. That's not something he did for the rest of the nations. So that's, that's unique to them, right? Uh, and, and God not only reveals himself through his name, his personal name, um, and his action, but also his character. He's revealed to Israel what he's like, what his character is like. Um, here's where these aren't ex- exhaustive of his character, but... Uh, he, Here's how God famously told Israel what he is like. This is kind of like the, the John 3.16 of the Old Testament. It, it's, it's very famous to, to the Israelites. And, I, and we refer to it a lot here as well. 
Uh, it, it says in Exodus 34, the Lord, the Lord, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness, keeping steadfast love for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin, but who will by no means clear the guilty visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children and the children's children to the third and the fourth generation. Uh, yeah, that's, that's a very important passage, right? Because it, it, it just lists what, what God is like, um, what his character is like. Um, Uh, God's actions and, and, and his character traits tell, tell Israel and us, as we read our, our Old Testament, how to, how to identify and recognize him. Um, there are no other gods with this resume, right? Baal didn't have that resume. Uh, uh, he, he, he didn't uh, deliver Israel out of Egypt and, and didn't have those kind of characters, characteristics. Jeff? I've got a great verse that illustrates what you just said. Yeah. Yeah, that's, that's, that's the great passage. Yeah. Um, yeah, you, you see that oneness and his character and his, his, his actions simultaneously, right? That was good. I, I like that. Um, this, this was the sole privilege of the Jewish people. They knew this one God. Um, they knew that he was the one and only God in these ways. But at the same time, that was their hope and expectation that this God would be known to all the nations in the same way. That he would, he would also deliver, that he would also display his character to them, right? And, and that's what Isaiah 40, uh, chapter 40 through 50 are all about. Uh, the coming of the one God to Israel and to the nations, where, where the nations get to share in this reality of the one God. While, while Yahweh's relationship with Israel was unique, this one God nevertheless had a relationship with the entire world. Right? He doesn't cease to not be other nations' God. He's the one God. Right? Uh, he still has a relationship with them um, because he's created them. Right? So two things to point out with regards to his relationship with everything else, right? the whole world. One is, is that God is the creator of all things. Uh, you can't escape that. As, as his creature, that's a reality that, that can't be moved. He's created you. right? So God's the creator of all things. And two, God is the sovereign ruler of all things. Now, people might not accept that, but that, that is the reality. You know, R.C. Sproul used to say there's not one stray atom from the universe. He, he's right. God, God is the supreme ruler, ruler, uh, ruler of, the, of, of all things, right? And, and that, that, again, is a, is a reality that everyone knows, including Israel, right? So, so right now you're seeing how... Distinctively, he's shown himself to Israel, but also he, he's revealed himself 
uh, to all men in, in these two, um, two, two ways, right? Okay, so I, I, I want you to just grasp, uh, or let me summarize a little bit. Um, Israel, we know, was self-consciously monotheistic. Um, part of that reason is because of their exclusive worship of the one God, right? Don't worship anything else. Worship this God. And, and, and this God had a unique identity, um, especially how he shows himself to Israel. He's the God who saves. He, he, he shows himself, uh, he, he reveals his personal name to them. He, he shows himself in his acts and, and his character, right? But at the same time, he's known by all, all people, all reality, because he's the creator, but he's, he's also the ruler of all things, right? So I, I want you to just kind of hold on to those as, as we move forward because they're going to function kind of uh, like a key to understanding how Jesus relates to the one God of Israel. Um, I, I think this is what the apostles had in the back of their heads while they were writing the New Testament. Uh, they couldn't help but to see Jesus as part of the, the unique identity of that one God that we just talked about. Okay. Um, okay. Well, what we want to see now is is how the the New Testament um, Messiah or, or or the Christ right fits into this whole thing. Because we haven't, we haven't touched the, the New Testament yet. We, we, we've been camping in, in the Old Testament. Um, and so the question we were asking is, uh, does, he, does this Messiah that the New Testament um, revealed to us come in accordance with, with God's unique revelation to, to Israel and to the world? Right? Um, and, and if he did, how, how do we know that? Right? Yeah, yeah, absolutely, absolutely, and and that's that's really, um, that's that's really what the apostles were trying to do, uh, you know, in Acts. Well, we'll get into Acts, uh, I, I hope, um, you know, later in the spring, but that's really important. The, the apostles' mission was to to bring this Messiah and to convince, first of all, the Jewish people that this is the Messiah because he came in accordance with who who God is the God that they already knew, right? Um, and, you know, basic question. Were, were Jesus' disciples monotheists? Duh, right? Right, of course. Um, first of all, think about who they are. They're Jewish, right? They have to have been monotheists, right? They believe everything we just said. For them, Jesus claimed to be the Messiah, the God of Israel, meant he had to come uh, with their with their understanding of the of of the Old Testament uh, that God is one. Uh, uh, let's let's start un, un, unpacking um, kind of this apologetic for Jesus' oneness. Uh, let's start with his name. What, what's so special about Jesus' name? Yeah, he, he's the he's the Christ. Yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. I'm sorry. I was thinking Christ 
Yeah, it could be too. Yeah, save, right? His people. Yeah. Yeah, uh, and 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 two, we we see in in Hebrews one that he, he having become as as much superior to an angels uh, to angels as um, as the name he has in, inherited more excellent than theirs, right? So we 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 see his name being exalted. Right above, above everything, above, including angels, uh, which the Bible says are, are over us. Right, um, and then in Philippians, right, this is famous. Famous in Philippians, uh, therefore God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name. I mean, well, what's what name is that? Lord, it, 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 it's, it's Yahweh. That's the name that that all the Jews knew. That's above every name. And, and, and the apostles' claim is that Jesus has that name, right? His name is, is, is on par with that name, right? Uh, and all that name signifies. Uh, and then there's the, the common phrase throughout the, the New Testament, to, to call in the name of the Lord, right? Well, we encounter this, this phrase in, in Acts 2, uh, Acts 9, 22, Romans uh, 10, 1 Corinthians 1, Second uh, Timothy 2. Anyways, th- this phrase is important because it's, it's all over the Old Testament. Um, but in the New Testament, well, first of all, who, who's, who's that referring to in the Old Testament? Call the name of the Lord. Who? It's Yahweh, right? But, but in the New Testament... Guess who it's applied to? To Jesus, right? Again, that's, that's the New Testament's uh, way of claiming uh, Jesus to be uh, within that unique name, right? That if you, if you invoke Jesus' name, it's as if you're invoking the God of Israel, right? Um, the next thing we want to see is, is that Jesus rules over the world, um, and, and really, that's the, that's the claim of the New Testament, that after he's resurrected, that he rose from the grave, where does he go? Where does Jesus go? At the right hand of God, right? <laughs> yeah, at the right hand, he's, he's seated on the throne, right? Who belongs on the throne? God. Only, only God belongs on the throne. But, but in the New Testament, we encounter Jesus on the throne ruling as God rules. Uh, that's, that's a claim. Um, and and, and if, you, if you were Jewish and you, you heard the apostles proclaiming that Jesus is at the right hand of God, you, you, you knew what they were saying. They were, they were, uh, they were equating Jesus with, with the one on the throne, the Yahweh, right? Uh, one of the key texts of the apostles was, was Psalm 101, um, verse 1. Uh, it says, Yahweh said to my Lord, sit on my right hand uh, until I make your enemies your footstool. Uh, for them, uh, and they didn't have the New Testament, <laughs> they're still writing it. But for them, uh, this was all about Jesus. I mean, how, how important is this passage? Well, very important because they quoted it or alluded uh, to it 21 times throughout, uh, 
throughout most of the, the New Testament, right? It's very important. Um, and so, uh, so that's, that's their claim, that, that Jesus is, is on the throne. Uh, and again, that, that is a claim for, for, for God's oneness, because God alone uh, reigns, as we said earlier. He's the one who, who rules. Uh, okay, so far we, we've seen that Jesus, the Messiah, shares in the unique name of Yahweh, and, and in the un, uh, Yahweh's unique uh, reign or rule, right? Uh, but Christians also recognize that Jesus shared in God's identity long before that, right? In other words, Jesus didn't just progressively share in, in, in the Lord or, or Yahweh's unique identity. It wasn't like for, you know, one moment, like, he, he was... He, he was a human being, and all of a sudden he, he, he progressively became the one God. No, that's, that's not the claim, right? He, he shared in that identity from the very beginning. I, I mean the beginning, beginning, right? Because John in his gospel tells us that Jesus is the who? The He's the Lord, but... but yes, in the beginning was the Word, right? Uh, John's claim is that Jesus is the eternal word. Um, uh, and even more, that, that eternal word participated in the creation of the world. Right? Um, remember we said earlier, part of uh, Yahweh's unique identity is that he is, he is both creator and ruler. And so far we've seen that the New Testament claims Jesus to be ruler, but they're also claiming claiming that he's also creator, right? He's, he's the eternal word um, that created the word. He's a participant of, of, of God's uh, unique creative work um, in creation. Uh, this means that for the early Christians, uh, if Jesus participates in the unique divine identity of Yahweh, uh, that, then he must eternally uh, do so, Right? He can't participate in God's identity only in the, only in the past, uh, present, and future. He must have always participated in it. Um, uh, let's, let's turn to uh, 1 Corinthians 8. 1 Corinthians 8, uh, beginning in verse, verse 4. Everybody there? Uh, Therefore, as to the eating of food offered to idols, we know that an idol has no real existence, and that there is no God but one. Uh, For although there may be so-called gods in heaven or on earth, um, as indeed there are many gods and many lords, yet for us there is one God, the Father, from whom, all, uh, from whom are all things and for whom we exist, and one Lord, Jesus Christ, through whom are all things and through whom we exist. What, what's Paul's concern in this passage?
What's he concerned about? Uh, idols, yeah, yeah. He, he's concerned uh, that that many, like people, might might turn to idols, might might go and worship idols, right? Um, but, but and ultimately, he's concerned about uh, their loyalty to to the one God of Israel, right? Um, over against this polytheistic culture that that they they're living in. You know, don't, don't go running to these other gods. There is only one God, and this is the true and living God. But, but notice what Paul includes in his formula, right? Uh, this is really Paul's take on the Shema, right? Look, look at verse 6 again. Yet, for us, there is one God, the Father, uh, from whom are all things, and for whom we exist, and one Lord Jesus Christ, through whom are all things, and through whom we exist. So, the one God is the Father, and one Lord is Jesus Christ. He's saying that loyalty to the one God means loyalty to both the Father and Jesus Christ. Paul Paul's including Jesus in that Shema identity. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one. And now he's saying, Jesus belongs in that identity. Um. And and why loyalty to the Father and Jesus Christ? Well, Jesus is the instrumental cause of creation. Uh, It is through him that all things exist. Again, this is consistent with identifying uh, the the one God of of the Old Testament. Okay. Um, What what else did we learn about Israel's monotheism? We, We learned that... Worship is reserved for, for him alone because he's the one God. and We call that monolatry. Uh, they worshiped Yahweh alone because he alone is the creator. He's, he, he alone is the ruler. Uh, what then should we expect of Jesus? If the one God of Israel is, is worshipped, what can we expect of Jesus? He should be worshipped, Right? He, yeah, yeah, he, he only worshipped God, um, but, but he, he himself is, is worshipped, right? What was that? Without fear of dividing your worship into, right? Right. I mean, this is where the, the Trinitarian aspect comes in, um, but yeah, even as you're, you're worshiping Jesus, you're, also, you're, you're simultaneously, overlappingly worshiping the God of Israel. They're not in opposition. They're, they're actually in, in, uh, uh, compatible and unified. Um, I mean, this is important. This is important for us. Uh, we have to know our, our history, right? Our early Christians um, worshipped Jesus from the very beginning. Um, it was the response of Jesus being exalted to the throne of God. Whoever is on that throne, we worship. Um, can anyone point us to a place where Jesus is worshipped? Yes. Yeah? Go ahead. Yes. Hebrews chapter 1. Uh-huh. And verse 8 says, But of the Son, he 
Nice. And then down, down in verse 10, we're talking about him being the creator, God the Father being the creator. In Psalm 102.25, it says, Thou, Lord Yahweh, in the beginning didst lay the foundation of the earth. And then it pulls that out of Psalm, puts it right smack in the Hebrews. Yeah. You're starting to see all those, those things that we were talking about. Like, right. yeah. Nice. Awesome. Charlie, did you have did you have a passage in mind? That was it. Okay. Um, I mean, I you know we, I preached through Philippians, and this is probably my favorite passage, right? Philippians two. Um, you know, every knee bows to Jesus, right? Uh, that's that's both submission and worship. Um, if you go if you go back to Isaiah where where Paul got that language, you know that's that's a reference to Yahweh. Uh, he alone it, it, you submit to and worship. Um, so I, I like that passage. And another passage is at the end of Matthew, um, Matthew twenty eight verse sixteen through seventeen. Now the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain to which Jesus had had directed them, and when they saw him, they worshipped him. But some doubted. Uh, I want you to notice that in, in that passage, this is right before the, the Great Commission, right? In that passage, Jesus doesn't reject their worship. He accepts it. Right? That's, that's how we know he, he's, 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 he's accepting to be the one God. Um, again, if you're Jewish, this would have been absolutely blasphemous to do. You're worshiping Jesus, someone other than Yahweh. But the, the precise claim is that Jesus is Yahweh in the flesh. Right? Let, let me get back to you in, in a little bit, because I think we're running out of time. Um, okay, so far we've identified several divine characteristics that lead us to uh, you know, the conclusion that Jesus shares in, in, the, in the identity of the, of the one God of Israel. But but, but it's more than that, right? We're going to have to wrestle with his humanity. What, what do we do with that? Or, or to ask it differently, does the crucified Jesus really belong in, belong in God's one and unique identity? And that's really where, where all this, the scandal will, will come. Um, there's no question that Jesus shares in the divine identity when we see him participating in God's creative act and his rule um, those are all his states of, of exaltation, but what about his humiliation? Uh, does Jesus' incarnation, life, suffering, and death reveal to us God's identity? Uh, so here's basically what I want to say in, in this last section. Uh, ooh, got five minutes. Uh, Jesus Christ, in his human nature, his humiliation, also belongs to the unique identity of God. Um, okay, uh, to get at this, I want to consider the suffering servant uh, of Isaiah uh, chapters 40 through 55. Uh, monotheism in those chapters are eschatological. In other words, they, they look to the day when God will reveal himself as the one and only unique God of, 
of Israel to the nations, right? Uh, it's when he will re- reveal to everyone his glory and salvation. Uh, many have called this the, the new exodus, when the entire world will, 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 have the, will, know, will know the Lord like Israel knows the Lord, who redeemed them from, from Egypt. And so many Christians saw these chapters as absolutely crucial to the identity of Jesus. I mean, this is where we get the word gospel from, right? What's the word gospel mean again? Good news. Um, Yeah, and so it is very important to them uh, because they identify Jesus with the suffering servant of Isaiah. Uh, There are two uh, important texts uh, that we need to look at here, Uh, Isaiah 6, verse 1, and Isaiah 52, uh, verse 13. You don't have to uh, turn there. I'll I'll, I'll just read them for us and, and make a few reflections. Isaiah 6.1, in the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord sitting upon a throne, there's that word again, throne, high and lifted up, and the train of his, uh, train of his robe filled the temple. I want you to notice that those two things, high and lifted up, right? Uh, Isaiah's vision uh, of Yahweh is that he is on the throne, high and lifted up. That, that's Yahweh. Uh, now listen to the suffering servant uh, described in Isaiah 52, verse 13. Behold, my servant shall act wisely. He shall be high and lifted up, and he shall be exalted. Same thing. Uh, he, like Yahweh, the Lord on his throne, is high and lifted up. And so here, here's the logic. If the servant is exalted on the throne of God, he is high and lifted up, um, then the servant must also be included in that divine identity, right? Because as we've read, only God is the sole ruler of the universe. He alone belongs in that throne. And so the question is, what is the servant like? What is the servant like? Um, uh, what we learn from Isaiah is the way the servant is exalted. Uh, he's not exalted... Uh, because of his sheer domination. No, he's exalted because he gets low. Uh, He is crushed for our iniquities. He bore our griefs. He was despised. He he carried our sorrows. He was smitten and afflicted. Uh, And so how how do we identify the one God of Israel and the world? Uh, Not only by his personal name, not only by exclusive worship of him, not only by his powerful and gracious deliverance, but we also identify him with his willingness to get low, right? To give himself for other people. Uh, you see, if, if the servant shares in, in Yahweh's unique identity, then his self-giving actions and character must, must also be part of that identity. Uh, that, that's all contained in the Old Testament, right? That's, that's God's revelation to, to Israel, that he will act in such a way, then everybody will know who, who he is and what he's like. In the same way that, that Israel knew what he's like. That's all in the Old Testament. Right? But when we get to the New Testament, this is precisely its claim. Uh, namely, in, in, in the lowly human life of Jesus, we encounter the God of Israel. Can, can the Lord also be the servant? 
Isaiah says yes. And Paul says yes. Uh, because for, for Isaiah and Paul, uh, both exaltation and humiliation belong to the identity of God. Um, this is the way that God reveals himself. It, it, it's what we saw in the suffering servant in Isaiah. Uh, it's what we see in Philippians 2. Jesus humbles himself that he might be exalted. Uh, it, you know, it's this movement from, from being high and then getting low and then, and then being exalted. Um, uh, John in his gospel has three passages uh, which predict uh, the cross. Uh, listen to them. John three fourteen fifteen 15. And, and Moses lifted up uh, the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up that whoever believes in him may have eternal life. Uh, John eight twenty eight. So Jesus said to them, When you have lifted up the Son of Man, then you will know that I am he, that I do nothing on my own authority, but speak as the Father taught me. Uh, John twelve thirty two uh, to 34. And I, when I am lifted up from the earth, will draw all people to myself. Uh, he said this to show what kind of death he was going to die. So the crowd answered him, We have heard from the law that Christ remains forever. How can you say that the Son of Man must be lifted up? Who is the Son of Man? You, you see, um, uh, the crowd didn't see how the, the, uh, the lifting up of, of Jesus on the cross can possibly uh, be in conformity to God's self-revelation, right? And I think that's really the scandal. Uh, but these verses should remind us of Isaiah's language of, of exalted and lifting up, high and lifted up, right? Uh, for John, Jesus lifting up on the cross is Jesus' exaltation, or in John's language, it's Jesus' hour of glorification. Uh, so, so John says that people will come to know the one God through the servant Messiah being lifted up on the cross. That's a tremendous claim. That's a tremendous claim. That the world will know the one God of Israel when he suffers and dies on the cross. But that's exactly what Isaiah tells us. He will be despised and he will be killed and then he will be exalted. And then the world will know who he is. Um, but but in, in, in Jesus' humiliation, you know, we, we encounter the one God of Israel. And that's good news for us, right? That Jesus uh, wasn't a fraud, but he actually came in accordance with who God is, and he's revealed himself in the Old Testament. Um, I, we ran out of time, but does anybody have any questions? I, I know it's a little bit heady, um, but if you have any questions, uh, you know, please ask. Any, uh, Charlie? Yeah, I forgot. I, I, I was going to get back to you. Mm-hmm. Which really speaks to the 
Yeah, those two have to come together. Yeah, I think so. I think so. Yeah, I mean, th- th- that's probably why um, a-, a lot of uh, the Jews were, were expecting an earthly ruler, right? But not God himself coming down um, in this earthly ruler. And that might be why even today you still reject Christ as a Messiah because they reject that the, the divine side of the Messiahship. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But But the thing is, is like, the the divine is also revealed through the the human the humanity of Jesus and I, and that's really i think the what isaiah is saying you will know that he is divine that he is he is the one god when he shows himself in this way when he gives himself for others on the cross right because that that is in conformity to to who god is he's the self-giving god and so a God who, who, who never gives himself is not the true, true God of Israel. But that's exactly who we find in Jesus. He's the self-giving God. Any other questions before we pray? Uh, the next two weeks, uh, Josh, I know I said one week last time, but Josh will be teaching um, on the names of God um, in the context of Psalm 22. And then uh, Dave will be teaching for nine weeks on the theme of fear, right? And then after that, I'll, I'll teach on Acts. Let's pray. Uh, o Lord, our one and only God, you are high and lifted up. Yet you came and stooped low to us that you might save and reconcile us to you and to each other. We pray that you would... Uh, continue to build us up in the image of the one and only Messiah, the, the Lord Jesus Christ. In his name we pray. Amen.